I'm Jonathan Polevsky, and it's my pleasure to interview Manuel Barueco for these podcasts. These are questions from the guitar teaching studio of Robert Thompson at Belmont University School of oh, Music hello. in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Do you have any pre-concert rituals to minimize anxiety before concerts? Well, I think the best thing for, for, uh, for nerves is to feel prepared. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously number one. But often we don't feel prepared anyway. <laughs> and that's the thing with that. No, I think uh, other than that, I mean, I think to deal with the negative thoughts, I think that's usually, uh, you know, the, the thing that at least for me that, that makes me very nervous. And try to replace them with, with positive ones. Easier said than done, to be honest, you know. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with our psychological makeup anyway. But I think those are the things to be prepared, you know, to try to think positively. Actually, one more thing that, that can help is try to concentrate more on the music. Mm-hmm. That's one way. In fact, you know, I mean, I, I played with a conductor one time, and I don't know how the, how the subject came up about nerves, you know. We were doing the premiere of a new concerto, you know, and, and the thing about nerves, you know, came up. And, and he said, well, you know, nerves is a very selfish thing because that means that you're worrying about yourself. You should be thinking of the music, you know. So we went out, and he, and he was shaking, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with a new piece anyway. So, I mean, we're human, and it's a difficult thing, you know. I mean, it, but uh, I would say that's, that's, those are the things that I can think of. What about focus while you're playing? I think that's a huge – it's like if you're thinking of your laundry while you're playing, bad things happen. Well, that's what I'm saying, that if, yeah. you, think, if you think of the music, mm-hmm. if you really get you know, as involved as possible in the music and concentrate on the music, that would be helpful. Now, having said that, it's easy to say concentrate on the music, but but one doesn't concentrate on concentration. You know what I mean? One doesn't say, oh, I'm going to concentrate. Well, you're going to concentrate on what? Mm-hmm. So you have to have an idea, really, of what you want to do with the music. And, and, you know, also, I think it's fair to say that you can also prepare yourself for the beginning of a concert. You know, if, if you know, for example, I'm the type of player that often, you know, it's not unusual for my hands to shake, you know, so... So if there's anything that I can do to help me in the preparation towards that, in the way in which I use my fingers or the fingerings that I use, you know, also that, that's helpful as well. Um, I think also one, one thing that's really important already in the battlefield, I mean, we're already out on the stage and playing, is, is to make sure that we don't tighten up. Mm. Often the fear will make us, you know, get tense, and, and uh, it's important that, that, that we find that. And no matter what, we try we try to remember what things feel like when we're home, relax, and try to duplicate that on the stage. Do you try and build a rapport with the audience when you when you uh, perform, or do you really think about that the music will build your rapport with the audience? I sort of tend to think that it's mostly the music. If not, actually, no. I take that back. I think it's all the music. Because if if you're going to try to reach them by telling jokes, you better be a good comedian. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I and I think if you're a bad player, I don't care how funny you are, we want our money back. Right. But having said that, if you know if you're a good player, and on top of that, you you can be a compelling personality on the stage. You know, I don't see how how that's going to hurt. I personally, as an audience member, I don't like a player that talks too much, and if they're going to talk a lot, it better be good what they're saying. If I just get the sense that they're just trying to talk to me just for the sake of talking, you know, that sort of turns me off. Mm-hmm. Or if they start repeating what's already in the program notes, I think, you know, I can read, you know. But if you have, if they have something to add or, or even if they're just trying to make some contact, I can appreciate that. 
But unless I think we should know our limitations, you know, and, and if you're not really a good talker, if you know, then maybe you shouldn't say very much. When I've seen you in concert, I get a feeling of uh, very profound humility from you. That you you're a messenger for the music, and that you respect the music, and you've chosen the music carefully, and this is what you want to present. Uh, you don't say much when you're performing, and it's. Yeah. Uh, I think that pretty much stands for itself. Yeah, well, I don't say much anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I mean, not in the concerts, I don't. But I think this probably anybody this way. I mean, I think my, my nature, my personality is not really one to be a performer. It's not really one to be a concert player. I don't think that's what I was wired to be in terms of, you know, being on the stage, you know. Some people may disagree with me, but normally I don't like to be the center of attention. There may be times that I do. I'm not going to say I don't, may not enjoy that sometimes, you know. But normally I, I, I don't believe that I am. And when you're on the stage, that, that's why you are. You know, so sometimes, to be honest, and I'm really being very open here, I just go out and I just play the best that I can and let things be uh, whatever they happen to be. Sometimes I may say something, and if it has a positive result, and if I feel good about it, I may say some more. And but that, Well, I think they want to like you. The audience wants to like you. I they think. do, but I, the way that I am, mm-hmm. I think if I felt that I needed to make a career by being also like an entertainer, mm-hmm. And I'm not putting that down because some people do it very well. But for me personally, then I, I would probably do something else. Mm-hmm. That's not something that comes easy to me. And I, that's not something that I wish to be either. I, 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 envy people that, yeah. I, I envy people that can do it, by the way. I don't believe that's my thing, though. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the practice of scales and arpeggios versus actually rehearsing excerpts from the repertoire? I think it's essential to do scales and arpeggios, yeah. It's like keeping your hands in shape. It's like doing weights and, and doing exercises if you're, if you're an athlete, you know, plus other benefits that it has as well. And when you do it in, in the context of, of passages, I think they're already committed in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I believe that one, one should do them and, and keeping the form, the way that we use the hands and, and, and not always push ourselves often to do it at a comfortable tempo and make sure that we're doing it correctly. We're keeping the form. I, be, I believe in that. And to be honest, I, I also know this from experience. Because I've been periods in my life, a long time ago, that, for example, I, I stopped doing scales. And after a while, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I start doing them again, and I become a better player. Is that because you were performing too often? There's just something that they give you. There's something that they give you a certain form. They, they no, but why did you stop? Maybe you start believing in them, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe you start. Maybe somebody tells you, you know, why are you doing? Then you say, yeah, what am I doing? Then you stop doing it, and then you know, and then I don't know. Two years later, you say, you know, I should have been doing them. Mind you, that the stage that I'm at right now. I mean, I, I I'm not saying that I need to do you know hours of scales. Even if I just do ten minutes, mm-hmm. that's enough. In Spanish repertoire, are you more likely to prefer rest stroke or? free stroke for scale passages in things like Turina or Rodrigo yeah. Benis? I think the basic sound of, of, of Spanish music, I'm, I'm assuming that it's folkloric, you know, Spanish mm-hmm. music based on Spanish folklore. It, it is mostly the, the rest rock sound. You know, I think that it has more the soul of the Spanish music. And therefore, in a lot of ways, if I had to generalize, I might want to say, you know, well, scales perhaps should be rest rock, but I don't, I don't believe in generalizing that way anyway. 
you have to put it in context. And sometimes pressure scales, if, if they're not controlled, you know, they can sound like a truck. Yeah. So so I think uh, I wouldn't just say use restrock scales or free stroke. You, you have to see how they sound. I always feel that no matter what we do, you got to hang it up on the wall and you got to look at it and see how it sounds. So that's how we say it. But generally, restrock is the, uh, I would say, is the sound. That sound for Albanis, Turina, Granados, yeah. all those great. Uh, yeah, but the, see, because the problem with the restrock is also that, that its use is limited because sure. we cannot do it in, we cannot do it in courts, we cannot do it in mm -hmm. pages and mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. contrapuntal things. So therefore, its application is limited. So we have to be really conscientious and really artistic in the way in which we use it. But listen to it. That would be the thing that I would say. Listen to it. Don't, don't just say it should it be breaststroke or freestroke. Try them both and listen to them and see which one you think sounds better. Yeah, and it could be that a particular student might have a better freestroke or a reststroke or a better reststroke than a freestroke. Uh, well, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm even saying that assuming that, it, even assuming that it's equal, mm -hmm. you can try both and see which one sounds better. Mm-hmm. We are not all um, professional guitarists, and some of us only have an hour a day to rehearse technique. Oh, God, that would be nice. What do you think should be given the highest priority daily? I think the basic things, mostly scales and arpeggios. I also practice slurs and stretching exercises. To me, those are the basic exercises to keep in shape. But if one only has an hour, I mean, you, one doesn't need to do, I mean, all that much. I think five, ten minutes could be enough of it. If it's done in a thoughtful manner and yeah, uh, mindful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if a student's having a problem with a small bounce in their right hand in scales or arpeggios, what do you recommend to them? Well, I need to see it. Uh -huh. I need to see it to know why it is. Can you explain what he means by small bounce? Well, what what could happen is... I'm going to give you one situation that perhaps may be the, the, what happens to this particular player. But if you place your right hand, if you play in restroke scales, let's say, apoyando scales, and you tilt your, your hand towards the right, that will pronounce even more the difference in the size of the fingers between M and I. Mm -hmm. So if you do that, what's going to happen is, is that the M being longer and the index finger being shorter is going to create a bounce because every time the M plays, it's going to push the hand back, and when you play with I, it's going to come in to try to reach the string again. I mean, that will be one simple mm -hmm. answer to that. In their pages, I'm not so sure what, 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 what this person is doing, but I, I really would, would, uh, would have, have to, to see, see the it. hand. Off the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure what would cause it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to see it. Mm. What music brings you the most joy in concert during performances? Which of your children do you like the most? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, at its best in a concert is when uh, when you go out to play in a beautiful hall with beautiful acoustics, and you have a nice audience. And by nice, I think the only things that we can tell from the stage is their silence and their applause. Although you cannot really judge applause all the time because different cultures and different places can have different ways in which express themselves. So in those situations, if you're on, if your feelings are there, you know, and, and your technique is working and you're playing beautiful music, I mean, that's the, uh, that's really the, uh, the, the ultimate situation. You know, when, if you lose, things are working well, the beautiful music, I mean, beautiful sound, a nice hall, I mean, that, that's the ultimate. Do you have favorite halls? Yeah. Uh, can you name a few? 
A few, well, just off the top of my head, Wigmore Hall in London is a great hall for guitar. I played only once in this small hall in Vienna, the Bramsaal in the Concerto Bar. That was mm-hmm. a great sounding hall. I just played a recital in Columbus, Georgia, and they, they had a really nice, great sounding hall. Been a couple of halls in Georgia, you know, recently. I mean, but I, I don't retain the name. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. To be honest. Okay. Here in Baltimore. You like the Meyerhoff? Friedberg, or, I was you thinking, like you know, for guitar. Uh-huh. I, I think that's a beautiful sounding hall. It's the right size. It's the right size and also beautiful acoustics. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, I remember John Williams played here also, and I, and I remember asking him, well, how do you feel about the hall? He said, well, he said, well what's wrong with it? I Meaning, you know, it's a pretty perfect hall. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, this is Friedberg Hall at the Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore yeah. for people who aren't in the know. And it's about a 700-seat hall, and it's, like, perfect, actually. And it's got to be 150 years old, right? Because it's probably the original. Think, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. I, I, you know, renovated. Yeah, it must have been there from the beginning, but it was... yeah. I think that was there from the beginning and um, renovated in the 80s, I guess, when I was when I was doing time there. Um, <laughs> is slow practice the best method for improving your playing? It's a very good method. Perhaps it's the best. I'm not sure if it is the best, but it's, it's one of them. I think uh, slow practice is extremely helpful in a lot of ways. I mean, I think, again, you know, for the memory, it helps with the memory because it breaks down that muscle memory. It also allows one to to look at the technique very closely and look at any excess motion, bad movements, tension in the technique. And also, uh, it gives the hands and the fingers time to take their time to learn how to how to do their job. But I think there's also another aspect that is, is often underrated, which is I, I think it's also good musically. I think by practicing slowly, it allows you to slowly hear the harmonies and the lines and everything that is that is going on in, in a piece of music. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Perhaps, you know, perhaps the best technique to, to, to practice here. And the last of Robert Thompson's questions, uh, which recording of yours was the most difficult to record? Oh, boy, I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know that I can answer that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. I remember one recording that you did which got lost. Uh, you recorded the Ponce in Mexico. Oh, my God, what a memory. Yeah. And it got yeah. lost. Yeah, oh. but that's, that wasn't because of difficulty. No, but that I was did. because of incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, I did. I, I, I recorded in Mexico many and you years never, ago. Have you, you've never recorded it again. The Is Ponce, that, no, yeah, the, the, the Ponce. The, because it was an LP and it was the Ponce and the Anjuan's concerto, and, ah. and no, I never, I never. Well, I have, I have a little bit of the recording session, but it sounds terrible. It's like noises in it, and I don't know what happened. And, and the Peabody performances were never recorded. Of the Ponce, yeah, I don't so know because you, you did the. I'll bet you they have a recording of it. I don't know if they. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a nice concerto. You should record it. Nobody does it anymore. Yeah, I do. It just hasn't. You no, know, hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it did happen, but it got lost. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. And, okay. and as far as the most difficult recording, I, I, I mean, you know, some, sometimes recordings can be difficult in a lot of different ways. But one example was when, uh, when I did some time ago, and the reason was I had so many mics on me and so close to me that I couldn't even breathe. You know, I mean, it was you know, the sound of in my arm, you know, rubbing the uh, the, the guitar. You mm. know, I mean, all that mm. was just mm. making. So it's, it seemed like I had to stop every two seconds. You know, 
And that was kind of an unusual situation too, because uh, I mean, I went into to the recording and I wasn't even sure what was going to happen, what we were going to record. And well, by the time I went in, I did know, but a month before I didn't. But um, that's, that's just an anecdote, you know. But I, I really cannot say that one was, you know. I think it's nice that you get to make recordings on your own terms now. I think this is a great thing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I I love it. This may not sound truthful, but I'm I'm telling you. The honest truth. If tomorrow, what is the most prestigious label in the world? Probably these days, Deutsche Grammophon. Let's say Deutsche Grammophon. Yeah. If Deutsche Grammophon came today and offered like two recordings a year for three years, let's say, for the sake of it, I would ask, okay, what's the repertoire? Unless I know it now, I would say, no, thank you. No, thank you. And that may not sound like a truthful answer, you know, because of course there's a lot of prestige, you know, in doing that. And, and that's something very nice about doing that. I just don't feel like going through that kind of stress mm -hmm. anymore mm -hmm. in my life. Artistically, it's not the best result, and you know, not really, you know. And and the benefits are not as much as they used to anymore. Sure, as no. they used to be, I should say. Yeah. Um, if you have questions for Manuel, uh, we are more than happy to uh, ask them and elaborate upon them. And uh, the man is willing, uh, you know, one bottle of wine and, and uh, even a third of a bottle of wine. And he's more than anxious to answer your questions. And I have to say, you, you've really, like, taken these uh, pretty candidly. You know, you haven't... Uh, uh, I have to say you've given a lot of time and thought for these things. So if you have questions, we are more than happy to address them.